One of my favorite ways to unwind is by playing a game on my phone while I relax on the couch. And June's Journey is my new favorite as it combines several of my favorite things, finding hidden items, decor and design, and solving a murder. In June's Journey, you dive into June's captivating quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret while discovering the truth behind the unexplained death of her sister. As you uncover clues, you also get to build your own island estate with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. You get to collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. You get to chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I'm Sadie Eck. And I am Courtney Eck. And this is one of the last times you're going to hear my voice today in this episode. It's true. We have a very special episode for you today. And it's a case of not only someone potentially getting away with murder, but so much gaslighting and potential negligence on the part of the police, it'll keep you up at night. So you have that to look forward to. This week, we interviewed a family who reached out to us initially on TikTok, and we've gotten to know them quite well. We interviewed six of them, six members of the family. So Sadie keeps real quiet in the background. She's just back there lurking like the creep that she is, (laughs) (laughs) just so that we didn't have so many voices. But the more that we get to know this family, the more we've gotten attached to them. And you all need to be prepared to laugh and cry and get really angry And we wanted to give you a quick synopsis before we start so it's easier to follow along. Although I will say they did a phenomenal job of laying out the information so that it's understandable. But essentially, a 21-year-old woman named Tori Bethel was found dead in her apartment in El Dorado, Kansas on October 7, 2022, after her coworkers called for a wellness check. Her family immediately called police to inform them that she had been spending time with a much older man who had groomed her and had become threatening to her as she tried to cut him out of her life. But as you'll hear, the police did nothing to investigate the case as a homicide and started to gaslight and stall for months until they found themselves, the family found themselves backed into a corner legally and financially. Hmm. So it is a fascinating and devastating case, and the family did an incredible job of telling the story. So please give this a listen and donate to their GoFundMe that we will be posting all over our social media and in the show notes if you are able. Yeah, please spread the word. That's the other big thing you can do if you know anybody in Kansas, have any connections, have resources that you could offer the family. They could really use support and love right now. Yeah. Um, they, They were incredibly kind and generous with the information they shared and did a really good job. Like yeah, Courtney said, it's not but, an easy place, not an easy thing to talk about. And they made it nearly seamless. So thank you so much to them for allowing us to talk. Yeah, it's been an honor. And so without any further ado, this is the very suspicious death of Tori Bethel. All right, everybody. So we are here today with the Bethel Wilson family. And I found them because on TikTok, one of Tori Bethel's 
best friends reached out to us and said, hey, there's this case happening. One of my dearest friends died very mysteriously in El Dorado, Kansas in October. And the police have done absolutely nothing to get to the bottom of this case. And the circumstances are very mysterious and kind of laid out sort of what was going on, sent me a little bit of information. And the more I get to know the family, the more I get to know about this case, the more we get to know about this case, the more I see red. And we want to help this family get the answers, get some more information, and quite frankly, get justice for what happened to their daughter. If Even if she did die of natural causes, like the police are claiming she did, why was an, an investigation done in the first place? They were owed that and they did not receive that. So we have a lot to talk about, a lot to cover. There are quite a few people here to talk with us today. Kayan, do you want to quickly run down who's on the phone with us and their relationship to Tori? Absolutely. Today with us is Tori's dad, Scott, her two brothers, Dalton and Dylan, and Dalton's wife, Larissa, and her sister, Tesla. Perfect. And Kayan, do you want to start by telling everybody about Tori, who she was and what she was up to in her life and what she was looking forward to before her passing? Yeah. Um, Tori was the youngest of seven children, got nine. We were high school sweethearts that made our way back to each other after both being in marriages and having children. And Tori was the youngest of seven kids. As the youngest, he felt that there were certain things that that role entitled her to. For instance, he was entitled to walk into anybody's house and get food whenever she wanted it. It was just a rule. And uh, the siblings were just expected to roll with that. He was the happiest human being I had ever met in my life. Uh-huh. From day one, she smiled and she never quit smiling. When she was in Little League, they were trying, her coach was trying to get her to make a mean face when she was up to bat. And every time he'd tell her mean face, she just smiled bigger and bigger and bigger. That's amazing. And he included everybody, you know, not every person in the world is everybody's cup of tea, but everybody deserves to be included and to make to feel like they're worthy. And mm-hmm. Tori showed that in so many different ways, just including new people at school or we'd be in Walmart and she would just walk up to somebody and say, I just want you to know that you're so beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, just she was constantly building people up. That's just who she was. Um, as the youngest of seven, she was very competitive. Her brother, Dylan, was able to pull a 32 on his ACT. And she said to herself, well, I'm probably not going to be able to beat that, but I can be valedictorian. (laughs) And she set that goal in like second or third grade, and she did it. That's amazing. Because he didn't turn in an assignment in Spanish when he was in high school, he couldn't be valedictorian. So she's like, okay, I can beat him in this manner. That's amazing. So she was super competitive, but she was so loving. She just touched everybody, everybody. And she was a daddy's girl and it was the center of my world. As are all my kids. 
the other kids were old enough that they all left home. Tesla graduated four years ahead of Tori. Mm-hmm. And so we got all of her high school years and um, the first year or two of college where she still lived at home. And so it was like she was an only child in that respect. And there wasn't all the other things that are incoming that distract your attention, you know. So we were able to focus on her differently than we were able to when all the kids were at home. Sure. And she was, she was working as a certified nurse's assistant. Is that correct? Yes. She was in her last year of college. So while she was working at this DNA to put herself through college, she was also just starting her first year of student teaching. Mm -hmm. And she was active in an after-school program. How she became the want to be a teacher is they had a program at her high school for seniors and it was called the HOP program. It stood for Help Out Teachers. So for one of her classes, she went over to the elementary school and helped the kindergarten teacher. And she absolutely fell in love with what we call her little. Mm-hmm. And she said, Mom, you know, because she was g- going to head down a path of healthcare. And she asked me what I thought. And I said, you know, you're not going to get rich at either profession, but there's a lot to be said for loving what you do. And then she decided to change and go into elementary education. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. When you and I were talking earlier, I was mentioning that just even looking at her Facebook for a few minutes to pull images for the TikTok that we posted about the case I was immediately like, yeah, I would have been friends. I'm, you know, obviously 20 years older than her, which doesn't really matter. I can be friends with people 20 years younger, but I was like, she's, yeah, she's very much my kind of person. It was obvious right away, speaking out for people who needed people to speak on their behalf, posting things that were super positive and in support of other people. And like you said, every photo was a giant smile. She just looked so full of life and so ready to go, just ready to take on the world. Yeah, and that's how she greeted every day. I mean, it was just go out there, put a smile on your face, make the most of it. And she took all advanced classes throughout high school. She actually got a presidential medal from Barack Obama for education when she was graduating from the eighth grade. Wow. Um, She took two foreign language classes in high school. So she took Spanish and French and two years of each. One of the things I'm very proud of is after her passing, two of her instructors from Emporia State nominated her to receive her diploma after she had passed. Mm. And uh, we we got that last May. That's so nice. So we have her diploma. Good. Does anyone feel inspired to go next? I guess I can. Go for it, Tesla. There are certain things that you should know about Tori. Is One, she's very spunky. And she would not handle being parented by anybody who wasn't her parent. (laughs) So as an older sibling, we walked very fine lines (laughs) between trying to give advice and not come off as parenty. Yep. She felt everything so fully 
mm-hmm. like way more than I think the rest of us did. Especially me. I've always been kind of the quiet, out of sight, out of mind, you know, don't make waves. Mm-hmm. And she was the exact opposite. She was a storm when she wanted something or she put her mind to something. Love that. My mom kind of already talked about this, but we were raised with the line of everybody's got one good thing about them. You find it and you focus on that. And Tori like lived by those words to the fullest extent, way more than um, the rest of us did. She just... I think she felt like everybody had just as good a heart as she did. Mm-hmm. And in this world, that's just, it's not the case. And I was always the opposite. I wasn't quick to trust people or anything like that. But she could meet somebody in one day and be like, they're good people. I'm going to let them watch my guinea pigs. <laughs> um, I can relate. Obviously, she was the baby of the family. So she did not have an inside voice (laughs) at all. Um, Whispering was not something in her dictionary or repertoire. Uh Um, She was always very loud. You could feel her when she'd walk into a room because she would make it known that she was there. Mm -hmm. It's been um, interesting trying to learn how to not have that. Yeah. She really was. She was the life everything that says so much about her we all know those people that if they're not available for something you're like Ugh, well that's not going to be as much fun <laughs> but you know if they're going to be there that everyone's going to have a good time because they bring it that's such a good illustration of who she was as a person and the kind of energy she had what were her guinea pigs names so her first guinea pig that she got, she named Naomi after a childhood friend of hers that had passed. No, um, she felt really close to. And then she rescued another guinea pig from a coworker, and her name was Dixie. And then Dylan was like, "Oh, her middle name should be Enormous." <laughs> so her full name was Dixie Enormous. <laughs> Oh my God, you guys, we do a a segment at the end of each episode where we, it's just, it's a long story, but we read off hilarious or adorable or extra special names. And it's always things like Dixie Normus. That's amazing. Our family did not suffer from a lack of constant humor. I think it was a survival skill. That's the best survival skill. Oh my God. Who's next? I'd like to go next. Go for it, Dalton. Like Tesla was saying, Tori was very larger than life type of deal. There's never any event, room, stadium, coliseum on the planet Earth that could hold the type of personality my sister had. I think there's two types of people in this world. There's batteries and vacuum. And Tori was definitely not a vacuum. She didn't suck the energy out of anything that she was working on. She was always bringing the life energy to anything. You could be on your worst day and about five minutes of being around her, she's going to say something that's so funny that you're going to be, the whole mood will just change. It'll be like, 
120 mile an hour wind in the opposite direction of the projection of your day. And she was very carpe diem, living life to the fullest and in the moment, which is something a lot of us, especially in this digital age, forget to do. Yep. It's so hard to be present when there's all these constant distractions around you. And she was always present. I feel like no matter what was going on, even if stuff wasn't okay in her personal world, she would still make you feel like everything was going to be all right. Yeah. They're the type of people that they're a blessing. A lot of people don't realize until they don't have it in their life. Yeah. Beautifully said. I'm going to hire this family to write metaphors for me because y'all are killing it with (laughs) clarity of the picture of who she was. The batteries versus vacuums. I'm going to use that. Thank you for that. That is such a, (laughs) it's true. It's so true. And some people feed us and bring light and bring energy and bring hope. And uh, when those people are taken, that is a massive void i'm so sorry that's exactly right it's like when this all first happened that's how i described it it was like you know all her being the youngest we all had a hand in her growing up and the personality that she had and so when you take that away from your your family tree it literally feels like somebody chopped off a limb yeah you know that that feeling isn't going to come back and it's terrible, and it's a void that you can't fill. The only thing that I try to do is to take the highlights of who she was as a person and the positivity and, like, her being able to walk into a room and know what she wanted and how she was going to go about it. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Yeah, I just, I wanted to make sure that people understand that as a person, she was the type, you were going to have a smile on your face, no matter how bad a day you were having, because of the kooky, fun, loving, in the moment person she was, like, she could get, I don't care who you are, she could get you out of a funk, she was just that type of person. Yeah, it's the best. Do you have anything else, Dalton? Beautiful, Dalton, thank you so much. Go for it, Dylan. Okay. Everything that Esalen Dalton said is pretty spot on. I mean, she was just next level big, always bright. She's who everybody should want to be. You know, like if we had 7 billion Tories in this world, it'd be such a beautiful place. Mm. We're definitely missing her and the world is not a better place without her, but we got to do what we do. Keep trucking and try to carry on in her memory and keep bringing her level of love and energy into this world. Because that's all she wanted out of life was to just let everybody know how much she loved them and how important they were and that they meant something. She was just excelled in being the brightest light you've ever seen. And it all came so natural to her. Yeah. We were growing up, like, we didn't really have a dad. We had what we called a sperm donor until Scott mm-hmm. came into the picture. For a long time, I, we all tried to help out, but she would tell you that I was her dad before she had a dad. Mm. You know, like Tesla mentioned that the Siddler couldn't parent her. I was a bit of an exception to that. Like yeah. any time that her and any of the other siblings would kind of have a little tussle or an argument, she'd call me up, say, Hey Dilly, what are you doing? 
She's no, not much, sis. What's up? She goes, all right, I need to come over and talk to you. So she'd come over to my house there in Eureka. I'd cook some food, be pour us a drink, and sit there and talk about what was going on. And I remember one time she literally told me, you're the only one that gets to dad me. They don't get to do that. <laughs> I'm sure that was a blessing and a blessing and a curse, Dylan. Yeah, that particular argument was over how our sister Tesla did her laundry while she took a nap. <laughs> she was she was spoiled and she knew it, but uh, she never admitted it. <laughs> well, it sounds like she she gave as much as she expected to, right? Oh, oh, oh yeah, she, she gave more than she got it. That's for sure. Yeah. And yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, she was just out of this world, too big for it, you know? Yeah. Everybody could have met her. They would remember her. I can guarantee you that. That certainly seems like the case. I mean, even just from the comments and things on the TikTok, people jumping up and it's just overwhelming. We've covered a lot of cases for families and and you don't always get that reception where it's just constant comments and compliments and support and love for for her it's very clear that she was very loved, very admired. And that's yeah. the best that any of us can hope for in this life, right? Yeah, she never knew a stranger. Everybody was her best friend. Nice. So the last holiday we had with Corey was the 4th of July before her passing. And um, Tesla and Francis and Tori and Dawn rode through it together. And they stopped at a gas station and some strangers started to talk to Tori and Tesla as for Tesla. She's like, don't talk to that person. You don't know who they are. And Tesla told her that she was a serial killer's dream come true (laughs) because she never knew a stranger. And how ironic that her kindness towards the wrong people. Yep. She never saw the danger. Because like Ted said, she thought everybody had a heart like hers. Yeah. And she couldn't wrap her head around the fact that there were people in this world that didn't value life like she did. Right. I always used to tell her, I'm like, Ted Bundy would have loved your dumb ass. (laughs) (laughs) There's been a lot of studies done that people like Tori, people who are very empathetic, are targets for people who are not good people. And so there is something to that on top of just being a friendly person. If you have that sort of huge heart and that space for humanity, unfortunately, there are a very small population of people who will take advantage of that. And she just just so happened to meet one of those people very, very unfortunately, but it's true. And that goes back to, like I said, the batteries and vacuums thing. You know, the people that are the biggest vacuums are going to be attracted to those that are the biggest batteries. You know what I mean? Absolutely, Dalton. Yes. Yep. And that's one of the things that I think of when I think about what happened to Tori. She was so much larger than life that these people when she tried to separate herself from them couldn't stand the thought of not having that beautiful soul in their lives anymore yeah and if they couldn't have her in their lives they decided to take her from the the rest of us yeah it's such a sick motivation but it's one that we see over and over and over and over again i am so sorry 
that it happened to all of you. And I think that's a good sort of segue and just starting to talk about what we're here to talk about. So I'll give a quick introduction and then let the family talk about the details of what happened. But essentially, starting on October 7th of 2022, uh, someone called in a wellness check for Tori because she hadn't been heard from in several days, hadn't been to work, hadn't student taught. And when police arrived, she was dead in her apartment. And I think Dylan's going to start us off if you're comfortable with this, Dylan, but he was the first person to be contacted. And I will say before we get into this, there are some details, quite a few details we have to be fairly vague about because it's complicated, but the police did not do an investigation into this as a homicide, like we've mentioned, but the family has hired a private investigator and is in the process of hiring other people to try to help get to the bottom of what exactly happened. But Dylan was the first to hear of Tori's passing, correct? In the family, anyway. Yes, ma'am. I was reached out to directly by people she thought were her friends. The weekend before she passed, uh, she actually spent the whole weekend at my house because I, I could tell she was kind of having a little bit of a, a tough time emotionally. So I said, all right, just come over. I, I don't have any plans this weekend. We'll hang out, cook some good food. We'll go hit the Mossy Ford, our little favorite river spot, and just kind of get our get our souls re-energized. And mm-hmm. So during this whole weekend, she was kind of telling me the backstory of this, this man she'd been spending time with. And I had heard about him through um, some coworkers of mine that I worked with. They knew of him. And I didn't realize that she and he were involved at all at the time. I just knew he was bad news. Yeah. So she proceeds to tell me all this stuff that weekend about how like they'd been spending time together. And I I told her I didn't think that was a very good idea, but you know, whichever way she chose to proceed, I would to the point her in any way that I could. Sure. And the last thing she said to me Sunday night, because I was working, uh, I was, fixing highways at the time I had to had to go back to work on Monday and that was all the way down in Antlers Oklahoma the last thing she said to me was I think this one might kill me bro Mm-mm. and I thought it was just like more of like a first heartbreak type thing I didn't yeah. read into it any more than just simply that but I left for work Monday and my guest bedroom has uh pocket doors and she never could get those things shut all the way so I all through the little gap she was in there kind of rustling around i must have woke her up a little bit when i was getting around for work and so then i went down to oklahoma for that week and that friday i had to come home because i had to grab my boy for the weekend and spend the weekend with him and as i was driving back it was right about noon when one of her quote-unquote friends messages me and she goes hey this is this guy's numbers he needs you to call him i'm so sorry Mm. Well, I'd done spent the whole previous weekend talking to my sister about this guy. Knew he was bad news. I didn't want to talk to him. So I just kind of ignored it. Yep. And then another one of her so-called friends messages me and goes, oh, my God. So I messaged back. I said, what? She goes, your sister. And I messaged back, what? She goes, she's dead. Mm-mm. So I immediately closed, closed out of that message, called this dude, and he just said basically i'm so sorry tori dead 
So then like disbelief kind of took over and shock, whatever you want to call it. I ended up having to pull over on the side of the highway. And that's when I called mom. And all I could say is it's, it's Tori mom. She's dead. And I remember her screaming and hitting the floor because <laughs> cops answered the phone and it was on speaker. And then a couple minutes go by and that's when I told her, you know, I'm, I'm going to get off here. I'm going to call these, the elder in the police department and let them know that this wasn't natural. Something happened to Tori. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got off the phone with her. I called the police and Detective Buck was at the scene, I believe, but Detective Roberts is whose phone my call got transferred to. And I immediately told him, you know, look for signs of foul play. This this isn't natural causes. There's nothing you can do in this that convince me otherwise. I know something happened to my sister. Mm-hmm. Just everything she told me that that weekend before, it, it wasn't coincidental. Right. Some somebody did something to her. They took her out of this world for whatever reasons, and they needed to look into that. Good for you for having that instinct. Just something I never ever thought was going to happen happened. You know. Yep. Had I had I looked more into the, her last words to me, I would have never left her work that that Monday. I would have lost my job, quit it. You know, you can always find another job, but you you can't replace a sister, especially well, like her. Right. And people say things like that all the time. It, uh-huh. and, you, and you don't know if it's just hyperbole or if it's something serious. And if she honestly, seriously thought that, I'm sure she would have said no for real, you know, or I'm really scared or, you know, whatever. You can never, no one would ever guess that. Even if she was being threatened, lots of 21 year old women are threatened. Lots of us have been in bad relationships or, you know, angry, violent, whatever relationships, abusive on some level. You never think that it's going to get to that level, especially as sort of quickly as it did. So you are not alone in thinking that that's just what that was. We hear cases of that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So after you spoke to police, what was their response to you when you called them and said that to them? Basically that they, they do their best to look into it. Mm-hmm. They were very short and abrupt and got off the phone with me. And that's when I called Tesla and let her know what was going on. And she was, she was at work at the time and I, I know her work schedule. So like I wouldn't call her unless it was an emergency. Mm-hmm. But she knew right away something was going on and that's why she called me back and I told her and she was the closest to El Dorado at the time. She was working in Emporia, which is about 35, 40 minutes away. And I told her, you know, get, get there. Yeah. You know, that way we have boots on the ground Yep. and we can figure out what happened, what's going on, what's the next step. Cause I, like I said, I was down in Antlers, Oklahoma. I was still five hours away. Mm. So she was our first responder, essentially. And so, Tesla, what happened when you got there? So, um, like Dylan said, I got the call while I was on lunch. Um, And, you know, I took off straight from work. 
my boss was honestly very gracious about the whole thing. So I took off immediately from work um, with my husband because I was in no position to be behind the wheel of a vehicle. Yep. And he luckily was taking classes at Emporia State. So he happened to be in town at that point in time. So he picks me up and we drive straight to El Dorado and we go to the police station mm. first. And I call so they can buzz me in. And basically, I'm asking, are they still at her apartment? Because I honestly thought that I needed to identify her. Yeah. You know, you watch all these TV shows and stuff where a family member identifies a body and I was closest. So I thought I have to ID her. Hmm. Uh, We find out that one, they aren't still at her apartment and that they have already taken her body to the science center and that they ID'd her using her driver's license. So crazy. Um, Real quick, Tesla, between the time that they found her and that you got there about how much time had passed. So he was notified at noon and I probably got there at like one fifteen. Yeah. But it only took them Um, a a couple of hours to decide to take her body out of the scene where they found it. From what we understand. Right. I'm not sure what time the police actually got in there when found everything. Then I, my mom was very concerned about her car because she had just purchased the new car 10 days um, prior to all of this that she was very proud of. And my mom didn't want anything bad to happen to it. I asked them if I was able to get her car and things like that because I didn't know if they had taken it in for evidence or anything like that. And they basically told me that they left her keys and everything in her apartment, which they left unlocked. There was nobody there manning it to make sure that nobody was going in or out. So I showed up there. And I feel like an important thing to know is when on Monday... When she left Dylan's house, she had a full tank of gas because he filled up her tank, mm-hmm. as he always does for any of us. And when I got in her car, she had less than a quarter tank of gas. Mm-hmm. And how far away is it from her house to Dylan's house? 30 minutes. Got it. There was no way that just from driving from Eureka to El Dorado that it would use up that much gas. No. So yeah. there was that and... I do remember before I went to her apartment to pick up the car and everything that I sat down with Detective Roberts and Detective Buck and I basically looked at them and my husband was right there next to me. And I said, this guy has told people he has the El Dorado PD in his back pocket. Mm -hmm. And their eyes kind of got wide and then one of them stepped out of the room to go talk to somebody else while Detective Scott Roberts tried to assure us that that wasn't the case. Let me clarify real quick, just for our listeners. So this individual that we're talking about, Tori was spending time with him, dating him. And he he is who, one of the people that the family suspects had something to do with her death. And he had also said, made that comment to witnesses previously saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, something about he could make somebody disappear because he has the El Dorado police in his back pocket. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, true. but okay. And that's how had you, 
great. And how had you gotten that information? Who who had you heard? I mean, you don't have to I, name names, but I heard it from from Tori, from her second friend that messaged me and said, "Oh my God, your sister, she's dead." Mm-hmm. And from a, a coworker of mine as well, who known the guy for several years. Yeah, got it. And so. Tesla, when you got to her apartment, it was empty at that point? There were no no police presence at that point? There was none. Okay. Um, yeah, there was no police presence, nothing. Nobody would keep people from going in or out. Um, anybody could have just waltzed into her apartment and grabbed whatever they wanted. They basically showed up with the body and left. And just to clarify too, we'll get into this a lot more as we get further into it, but... The family has requested the the files for Tori's case on multiple occasions and been denied those files, even though they claim she died of natural causes. And so when I ask questions and they don't have the answers, it's not because they haven't tried to get those answers. It's because they have been denied that information for some reason multiple times. And so not knowing when they arrived, how long they were there if they took photos, if they did any sort of investigation, there's a lot of that that they just don't know because they have not been told, which is quite frankly insane and why we are here. Yeah, we've issued subpoenas to them and everything and they, they still won't show up the records. Yeah, yeah. They, there's a court-ordered subpoena that they denied. And what the big biggest reason that jumped out, I know Kayan has mentioned this before too, is that they didn't pay fees up front, the fee to collect this file, which would one would assume is a couple of pages deep if she died of natural causes, but they didn't pay a fee up front to have the clerk or whomever retrieve the file and hand it to the family. So that's cool. So Tesla, then what happened after you told the detectives that he had said that? Basically, they just tried to assure us that that wasn't the case. We were told that that department had an entire overhaul a couple of years prior and that the guy that we believe could have done this with the help of some others, that he had a cousin, I guess, that worked in the police department. And that's what they told us he had meant, but that his cousin no longer works there. Got it. That weekend, we tried to contact the KBI. And they informed us that they wouldn't get involved because we were civilians and that the police department had to reach out to them. So at that point where you just, it was becoming clear that the police were not doing an investigation or why did you, you reached out to KBI to relay that information? We reached out to them because we wanted to make sure that her case was getting handled appropriately and treated as a homicide as it should have been. And instead, we were basically told, trust your police department. We can't get involved unless they tell us to get involved. And so we were kind of stuck. We even reached out to the sheriff's department just trying to get all eyes on Tori's case so that there wouldn't be any kind of misconduct or lack of them doing their job. Right. And it didn't matter in the end. There's nothing we could do. And so at this point, what was the communication that you were having with the detectives, with the police? What what were they saying to you? What were they saying that they were doing on your behalf or on Tori's behalf? 
they were telling us what we wanted to hear. Like that they were, it was an active investigation, but they couldn't disclose too much information to us because it was an active investigation and they didn't want, I don't know, maybe one of us doing something or getting in the way of them doing their job. Right. You know, they didn't want to bring too much attention to this until they had all the information they needed to proceed with it. And were they bringing people, bringing family and friends in and questioning them at that point? No. The people that we know that they interviewed as far as family and friends go, they had to volunteer to go in on their own and set up those appointments to talk to Detective Roberts and stuff like that. I don't believe that they brought anybody in for questioning and involuntarily until the very end, if that. Got it. So they were reaching out to members of your immediate family or her coworkers or her neighbors and saying, hey, we would like to, you to come in and answer a few questions about her death. No, yeah, it was pretty much just people calling them and being like, hey, I want to come talk to you. I have information. Right. Yeah. Got it. And so how much time passed before they gave you any sort of information about their suspicions about her passing? They never really said anything about suspicious and yeah. stuff. Can I interject? Go for it, Kayan. So I kind of took lead. They did a welfare check on Tori on October 7th. That's when her body was found. We, as her family, went down to the Elder Police Department on the following Monday, which would have been October 10th. I am not a beat around the bush kind of girl. I straight up said, he says that he can make people disappear. He says your department's in his back pocket what are you going to do to solve my daughter's murder? Right. Again, they reassured us that they had overhauled the department and that that wasn't the case, so on and so forth. Normally, toxicology can take around four to six weeks. We were told it was going to take four to six months because of a backlog from COVID. It ended up taking, I think, seven and a half, somewhere around there. Oh my God. Before they actually gave us toxicology results. I had just assumed with this man's history that he probably gave her fentanyl, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. it's such an epidemic right now. To um, clarify, too, he was a drug user. He was involved in drugs, correct? Yeah, yeah. that's our understanding. Right. That, that's what we're told us. But it seemed like everything we brought to the Eldorado Police Department, they would tell us they were going to follow up on. And then to the best of our knowledge, they did none of it. On the TikTok, we had talked about how Tori had been sexually assaulted in 2020. Yep. And that her door was never left unlocked, ever. Yep. But we believe she was killed in one location and her body moved back to her apartment. Because of that, When they did the welfare check, they went to knock on the door and the door came open. I can only imagine that those involved that dumped her body panicked when they figured out that there was no way to lock her door without having the key. Who was the one that told you that when they knocked on the door, it swung open? I do believe that was Detective Buck. Was it not Tesla? It was. 
Yeah. So okay. a detective told you that they knocked on the door. It swung open. He didn't turn the handle, right? It swung open and he found right. a dead woman in the apartment that the door had just swung open to. Right. Wait, right. So Dalton did some investigation into an elected device. I'll, I'll let Dalton explain this part to you because where her body was located in her apartment was about two feet away from her Alexa device. And those have a hot mic at all times. Well, there's just so many things that stuck out like a a nail ready to be hammered by any detective that's worth their gumption or actually wanting to look into something. Yeah, you know, I agree. When they told us When they told us we could take her vehicle, like that stuck out like a sore thumb because what if it was involved in the incident, if it was being treated as a homicide? Yeah. I believe, I don't know if it was Tesla or Dylan, they'll have to say which one it was that originally got into her vehicle after the fact. There was a sheet in her passenger seat that, I mean, it wasn't, she didn't have any bedding that matched the sheet. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of wondering why that was there. You know, uh, when we went down to see the detectives on that Monday, I rode in her vehicle with my brother and I was looking around and in the, the cubby of the passenger side, there was all this sand, which makes no sense. You know how people are when they get something new. Yep. They are like very particular about keeping it nice and taking care of it. When I found out about the sheet in her car, I put, I work in healthcare. I put gloves on and I put the sheet in a Rubbermaid coat thing because I didn't have a baggie big enough. And we delivered that to them on that day. And Detective Buck in front of all of us went out and took a sample of the sand that was in her door. Mm-hmm. The sheet was returned to me when they closed her case. But when I took it to our PI, it wasn't properly taken into evidence. There were no initials and dates on the evidence tape. And they have lost the soil sample. Mm-hmm. That's when I was like, well, maybe she was moved. Maybe she passed at a different location. And if that's the case, if somebody had to have moved her body, that. Alexa could have possibly heard any communication between the people that possibly moved her. I thought that maybe this could be a key to busting this whole thing wide open. Absolutely. The investigators, the detectives told us that they had sent subpoenas to Amazon for these records of the Alexa in November. And they were basically waiting on word back from them. Mm-hmm. And so after a while, my mom contacted them again and was like, hey, what's going on with the subpoena? They're like, well, we're going to have to re-subpoena them because they never, I don't know, something happened with the first one. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the point is, to this day, we don't even know if the subpoenas were served because we haven't got the evidence or the records for her case. Right. Well, and on on the other side of that, after we met, with the detectives that Monday. I told them, I said, I want to allow you time to work on her case, but I will call once a week for an update. That's, they should be calling you once a week for an update, at least in the initial stages. Yeah, they had no 
they could care less what we were going through. They could care less. The Thanksgiving right after Tori's death, it was a rough one. I had been for two weeks trying to reach Detective Buck, who was supposed to be the lead detective. And I couldn't get a return call. I couldn't get a return text. So finally, after Thanksgiving, I called and I said, I need to talk to Detective Buck's supervisor because he's supposed to be in charge of my daughter's death investigation and I can't get a hold of him. Well, that's when they connected me with Detective Robert and he said that Detective Buck was no longer with the force and that he was now in charge. We have sent them screenshots, emails, text messages. They told us that they had an expert with the huge amount of data that's on a 21-year-old's phone. It's going to take time. All they did was gaslight us from October to July. That's all they did. They had zero intention of investigating her deaths. Everything that we can think of. Corey had told numerous people that she was trying to get away from this guy and that it wasn't going to end well. Right. She had said something to her boss when she left work the night before we believe she was killed. And he said, I sure hope I get to see you again. Mm. Now, this was her employer. Why wouldn't she get to see him again? Right. They told us initially that she had emailed somebody that she had COVID. We can't find that on her laptop, her iPad, her phone, nothing. When I picked up her device, I listened to her voicemail. And on Thursday, October 6th, the day before she was found, the teacher that she was student teaching for had left a voicemail that said, hey, Tori, this is Mrs. So-and-so. It's not like you just to not show up. We're kind of getting worried. Can you give us a call and let us know you're okay? Right. And then the next day, her fellow student that was student teaching at the same school called for a wellness check. Right. Doesn't sound like they got a COVID email. And so police told you that they got this email and they didn't clarify from who, right? That they got an email from someone or they had information from someone that they had received an email that Tori had COVID and that's why she hadn't shown up for work, right? That's what the detectives told you? Yeah, they said that somebody had told them that. Right. And we kept asking for an IP address. We kept asking what device it was sent from. We we kept asking all the questions. And it would always go back to, well, you know, we've got our expert working on it, but there's just so much information that it just takes a long time to go through all of it. Right. And did they, now, did they say who that who that information came from? Nope. They tried to say it came from one of Tori's devices, but they wouldn't clarify what device. They, they said that Tori sent that email to her work. Right. Yeah. Right. But, but there was no evidence on any of Tori's devices. Now, the minute I got her electronics back, when they told me I could go pick her stuff up, I had her stuff from about four or five in the evening until nine o'clock the next morning when I delivered it to the private investigator. We can log directly into her email. On Saturday, when she was supposed to have told this guy that she wanted nothing else to do with him, 
the other person that we believe to be involved sent an email that said, are you alive? That was at 11 p.m. And at 11.01 p.m., it said, unblocked me. And within 48 hours, my daughter said, according to the police, you can't determine when somebody dies, which is just just a bunch of crap. Patently untrue. No, it's absolutely untrue. Right? The best we can do as amateur detectives wanting answers is about four o'clock on Monday, October 3rd, her uh, phone quit tracking her steps. And at 5.30 that night, all data ended. Yeah. So we believe that she was killed late afternoon on October 3rd. Yep. One theory that we have as to why the gas is missing and that there was sand in the vehicle is that they used the sheet to move her body. They put her in her car, drove around for hours trying to figure out where to dump her body. And then they finally decided to take her to her apartment. Right. And right. I do not, she lived on the second floor. I do not believe any person could have carried her body up two flights of stairs by themselves and dumped her body. Right. She wasn't a big girl, but there's a big difference between dead weight and somebody that can help Absolutely. carry their weight. Right. And you found a text from the the man she was seeing after the fact immediately. Oh yeah. Right. And what did that text um, last, that text say? His last words to her after she told him she wanted nothing to do with him on Saturday night was, I'll love you till the death of you. Yeah. And I quote that word right. for word. That doesn't that's not normal verbiage. No. You know, somebody says they don't want anything to do with you, you say, I'll love you till the day I die or something like that. But Forever. I love you to the death of you. That's yeah. a warning. Yeah. Yep. So let me do a That's quick a- recap for everyone who's listening. Basically, you suspect that after she left Dylan's home, one person or both people lured her from Dylan's home. They met up. They took her life, put her in her car with the sheet under her drove her around trying to figure out what to do and decided to bring her back to her home, placed her in her home and left her there. And then on, that would have been on Monday, according to the data from her phone and her steps stopping at 4 p.m., correct? That would have been four, between 4 and 5.30 on Monday. Yeah. And then a wellness check was done on Friday, which is when the police found her, correct? Yeah. So they took her body out of her apartment within a couple of hours without doing any sort of investigation of the apartment, collecting any forensic evidence as far as we're aware. And with my understanding of potential homicide investigations, it takes a few hours to do that or a couple of days to do that in some cases. And at that first meeting, when we went down, I said, why would you not work her car? Right. And they gave me some BS about there had to be something in the apartment that would lead them to work her car. And I'm like, I'm her mom. You could have called me. I would have given you all the permission in the world. They would have had to work the apartment to even have a clue. They told us the dead have a right to privacy. Oh my God. Unless there was actually solid evidence in the apartment that led to them needing to look into her car. That was the only way to go down that avenue. Well, and if you knock on a door and it swings open and there's a dead person inside that apartment, in my opinion, and I'm not a detective, I'm not a police officer, 
In my opinion, that is plenty of indication that this needs to be looked at deeper. Because why would her door be sitting open? Especially when her brother calls you and says, hey, I believe this person had something to do with my sister's death. Exactly. And then you proceed to take a series of text messages, emails, witness statements to them and say, here's a bunch of evidence that that backs that up that says this needs to be looked into. If the family is saying that, if the people that are closest to her are saying that, you need to look into it. Because I'm not a detective, but I can tell you Detective 101 is you treat any unattended death as a homicide. Exactly. When we went into Tori's apartment two weeks after her death to start going through her stuff and moving her things out so we didn't have to pay another month's rent for her, that we found a note on the bar in her apartment um, that had some pretty aggressive language in it. We collected that. We provided that. Everything that we provided them that could have been helpful in this investigation was, to our knowledge, nothing done with it. Nothing. Right. And Kayan, you mentioned too that the neighbor didn't even know for like a week, right? The downstairs neighbor. Absolutely. You would think if you were investigating a homicide that the detectives would have taken the time to knock on doors and say, hey, did you see anything suspicious? Did you hear anything? And there was a lady that was probably near my age that had adult age children that lived directly underneath Tori. And she'd kind of taken Tori under her wing. She'd kind of mama her a little bit, but in a good way, the kind that Tori would take. Of course. When we went on the 22nd of October to start emptying out Tori's apartment, I spoke to this lady and she had had no idea. Mm. None. So they didn't try to, to investigate if anybody had seen or heard anything. Yeah. They told us what they thought we wanted to hear. About three quarters of the way through the process with the detectives or halfway or so, all of us started to get the feeling of the, the gaslight, like something they're pushing us off and not telling us what we need to know. In other words, they're not working the case. We all had this feeling. And when we went down there and met with Detective Roberts, I actually asked him point blank if the male suspect was an informant. Right. So I asked the detective point blank, is this you know, such and such a public informant? To which he sternly affirmed us that no, he wasn't. All the while, he was completely shaking, telling us this, like his whole entire body was shaking. Mm-hmm. Wet rolling off of him. It became an apparent. When Dalton had researched that Amazon device, it had said they only stored that information for a certain time frame. Uh-huh. So it makes sense that they were just stalling yeah, because they wanted to allow enough time for Amazon to erase that evidence. Right. And you also um, said, KN, that they claimed that there was no, there were no cameras nearby, right? No footage, despite the fact that it's yes. 2022 and everyone in the planet has a ring camera or security cameras of some kind on their residences. And she lived in an apartment complex. Yeah, her apartment complex consisted of two buildings, each three-story high. Across the street from her apartment was the Butler Community College Coliseum where they played their football games and soccer and such. You can't tell me there weren't cameras there. Yeah. And 
her apartment complex was also located between two main streets, each with traffic light. We were told, oh, they don't do that. Mm -hmm. When we asked about her car, she had a 2020 Ford EcoSport Titanium. It has the ability to have internet. How does that car not have the ability to tell us where her car went that day? Yep. And so finally, I called Ford Motor Companies and I asked them, I own this car now. I want to know if it has the capability tracking where somebody goes. Right. And they came back with, yes, it does. It stores locations. Of course it does. Every car does. (laughs) So there's another fee that we have to pay for Mm -hmm. to get that evidence. The cost of an investigation is insane. Yeah. And it should have been done. She was a tax-paying citizen of that county. Exactly. They got the autopsy results back. And when they told the Forensic Science Center that she died of COVID, they went strictly down an avenue of medical. Mm -hmm. They didn't do a rape kit. They didn't do fingernail scraping. They didn't look for any signs of foul play whatsoever. It's insane. And also, none of you saw her body, right? Nobody in the family saw her body after she was dead. No. That's correct. Which is insane. So, you you get the autopsy results seven and a half months after she passed. What did the report say? And I have a copy of the report, so I can corroborate this. But what did the report tell you? The report said the manner of death was natural, that she had some noted infiltrates on her left lung. And that under histology, which is where they look at cells under a microscope, there was evidence of the RSV virus, and I believe it was adenovirus. Mm-hmm. But those in an adult are the common cold. Right. Corey had been ill a couple weeks before she died. And the day she got sick, She called her mom, which is what she does any time she's sick. And I asked her if she had been tested for COVID. She said she went to student health. They tested her and she was negative. Mm -hmm. Now, she also worked agency for nursing homes. And so on Sunday, when she went to work, before she was found dead, she would have been tested for COVID and she would not have been allowed to complete her shift if she had indeed, te- indeed tested positive and she worked a full shift. Right. So basically they came back to you and said that she died of RSV and another virus that amount to the common cold because of some inflammation in her lungs and also claimed that there was signs of emphysema Yes, and that made no sense to us. Corey was 21 years old. She didn't smoke. That made no sense. I'd even talked to Corey's personal doctor about that, and he said that is not possible. She would have had to have something congenitally wrong with her to have emphysema. And he also said plenty of people live with just one lung. 
he 100% says she did not die of natural causes. And not to mention the fact that she was working as a nurse. She was a certified nurse's assistant. And so had plenty of information at her disposal that if she was nearing a place that she was going to die of RSV, she probably would have taken steps to take herself to the hospital to get intervention so that she didn't die of RSV. And my thought initially was, well, maybe there was some other complication or drugs involved or something like that, but her organs are healthy according to the autopsy. There were no drugs in her system other than a prescribed medication, which we'll talk about in a little bit. There was a slightly higher dose of the prescribed medication, but not a lethal dose. No drugs, no sign of a heart attack, no sign of any other organ failure that if you have a bad cold, but there's some other factor that becomes involved and that would have led to a very sudden death. None of that is is available. There's no evidence of that at all on the autopsy. Nope. She'd been with Dylan and Tutsla all weekend and she had chased her three-year-old nephew all over the yard. That's yep. not somebody that's having trouble with their lungs. From my that perspective, too. she was over whatever illness she had prior. Right. She was a normal, happy, healthy, running around, chasing accidents self. Right. Okay. Larissa wants to interject something on that. Go for it, Larissa. Look at her autopsy. It says that she was found on her left seat or her couch and she was wearing a bra. Yep. That right there is a big indication of people, like for people that actually knew her, she did not wear a bra hardly ever. If she was leaving the house, sometimes she still wouldn't wear one. Depending on what she was doing, where she was going. If she would have been sick, she would not have had that on. She would have been in her bed, yeah. not on her couch. Fully clothed. And she had a cheerleading injury, right? She had an injury that also not only are just bras uncomfortable, as we're all very well aware, but she had an injury that made it even more uncomfortable for her to wear a bra, correct? Yeah. She, and she had a bulging disc from this injury. Right. So it, it could cause her a great deal of pain. And it's kind of funny that that didn't show up on autopsy either. Right. But but it did show in her autopsy that there was signs of blunt force trauma to her back. Right. But we don't have photos. We don't have descriptions. We don't have any other information about what those could have been potentially been or what could have caused them. Correct? Yeah. Even the Defiant Center isn't releasing their records. They just gave us the written report of her autopsy. Nothing, no pictures, no nothing. Right. What was she wearing when they found her? Do you know? We don't know because they lost her clothes. And how do you know that they lost her clothes? Because when they returned her possessions to me and I asked them for her clothes, they told me they didn't have it. I would need to check with the funeral home. And the funeral home says, well, you need to check with the science center. And the science center says, well, you need to check with the police department. Right. Nobody has them. Right. Her autopsy talked about that her hair was brown. When she passed and I was speaking to the funeral home, I asked for some locks of her hair as well as some pictures of her tattoos because her sister wanted to get the same piece in honor of her. And I went to drop her urn off with the funeral home and I asked for the photos of the tattoo because Tess was sitting for the tattoo the next week. And they came back and they told me that they couldn't find the pictures or the locks of her hair. Mm. At which time I kind of had a meltdown. I bet. And I, her dad and I were going to pick her remains up together. But at that time I told them I wanted her. I wanted her now. 
before they lost her too. And about a week later, the funeral home sent me locks of blonde hair. So I don't even know if that's really her hair. Right. You did some research and I looked into this too, and it did back it up that part of the inflammation, intra- Intra alveoli. Thank you. Acute inflammation can also be caused by suffocation. The research I, I did said that it's caused by illness or inhaling something toxic, something like that, but it can also be caused by suffocation. Well, and I looked into a study that if you look at an acute finding versus a chronic, a chronic finding is something that people live with lifelong for the rest of their life. Right. Acute is something that is more short term. And so I got to looking into it. And this study that I read, it says individuals with evidence of violent asphyxiation and a clear emphysema without any indication of pre-existing emphysema were assigned to the acute emphysema group. Uh-huh. And her doctor says she did not have chronic emphysema. Right. Her doctor of over a decade. Yeah. Yep. And so my question to you when we talked previously was, and I didn't, it's not on the autopsy. There's no mention of any kind of petechial hemorrhaging or anything that would have directly pointed to suffocation or strangulation, but that it's not in the autopsy. We don't have photos of her body. No one saw her body. And so we don't know if there were any other signs that she was suffocated or strangled. But the thing, the information that we do have is in line with potential suffocation or strangulation. Correct. The only thing with strangulation, you would expect a a change. And I believe her hyoid And you would see ligature marks, whereas with suffocation, those things aren't as evident. Yes. So we get the autopsy findings. They say natural causes. And what do you do then? Well, I say some bad words. Yep. And then I reach out to a private investigator because I know my daughter did not die of natural causes. Yep. We took all of the evidence that we had at our disposal to the private investigator. We kept waiting for the Eldorado Police Department to tell us that they were done with her case. And I received that email July 5th, 2023 from Detective Robert. And I said, have your report been completed? His response was, yes, they are complete. And then we followed the advice of the PI. He wanted the element of surprise, so to speak. He didn't want to show his hand right away while he did some preliminary investigation. And then Kansas is an open record state. I have requested her file two times, one as recently as last week. Mm -hmm. And he had done numerous. And when it was clear that they weren't going to respond to that, Then we had to spend another $5,000 to retain an attorney to basically set up a trust in her name so it looked like she was asking for her information and they still declined it. And you've had how many denials of that information? The PI has done like three and I think I have done two. Yeah. And you sent those to me too and it's maddening. The You sent me 12 pages of denials and it's just a giant stack of 
legal language that may or may not pertain to your case, including it being an open investigation, which is the big thing that jumped out to me. And I think that also for you all and the private investigator who then wrote back and said, can you confirm if this is an open investigation along with other questions and to which he received a denial of answers, even to those questions. And, And the whole thing is, is she died of natural causes. What do you have to hide? Bingo. It's your right. She died of natural causes and uh, we need to just accept this and just move on. Give us the information so we can. Right. It's a very straightforward request that should be public information. It's a closed case. It's not an open investigation. She died of natural causes. And if it's not attached to something that is a potential homicide investigation or criminal investigation, it doesn't make sense that that information wouldn't be available to you. Exactly. Well, we've had no contact with Detective Roberts since July 5th of last year. On December 15th, the male suspect in this case died. Right. And that information was made available to us through people hearing about it and knowing that we had an interest in it. And we didn't reach out to the Eldorado Police Department at that time. Right. And a couple weeks ago, we sat down with a local reporter for an interview when she was done interviewing us, she was doing her due diligence and reached out to the El Dorado Police Department to ask for them to interview as well. And lo and behold, Detective Roberts called me the very next day mm-hmm. to tell me that said male suspect had died. And I said, are you going to let me into her case? And I got the whole oh, that decision's not up to me, spiel. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, and I hung up. I just want to point out that this suspect died of random multiple organ failure. Right. The, the male suspect involved in this case, there was multiple times that he was brought in during the course of the supposed investigation. Brought in, arrested. That's what I mean, brought in, arrested, and got out, made bail. He was out on general release every single time. All four times that he was arrested, they released him on general release. So it just goes with our theory that he was their public informant and they're trying to protect their informant. Right. His assertion that he had the police department in his back pocket seems to be in line. Yeah, unless there's something that we just are not privy to, which is a lot of things because they won't give you any information. And so all we're left with is speculation. We've had to do a lot of investigating on our own, and we don't claim to be professionals by any means. And if we're putting inaccurate information out there, the Eldorado Police Department is free to correct us with evidence. Yes, exactly. You'd be thrilled to get a rebuttal to your claims. It would be thrilling to you. That's the entire point of this, to know that and be and feel secure in the knowledge that they did actually look into the information you provided, that they did actually search her apartment, search her body, take photos of her body, collect all the essential evidence to determine conclusively that she died of natural causes, but you have not received any of that information, any evidence of that, zero. And all you've received is denials of those requests as her family. Correct. 
And it's dawning on me. I know people are going to be asking why you haven't had her body exhumed or had her retested, done an additional autopsy. They had cremated her body before they got the autopsy results because of course they had, because of course they would trust that there was an investigation pending and that they had already gotten the information they needed off of her body and that they wouldn't have needed to do that. And so she has been cremated. So there's not an opportunity for additional testing or examination of her remains, unfortunately. So after y'all reached out to me and I posted the TikTok, there was an individual who's the other individual that you suspect had some involvement in the case, started to just bomb the TikTok through multiple accounts, claiming that Tori had passed from a drug overdose, that she had been involved with this individual who was a drug user and that she was using drugs and that's how she died and that you all were now using her death as a way to start a GoFundMe to just make tons and tons of money off of your daughter's death. And my response to her was, I don't care if Tori died of a drug overdose, they still deserve an investigation. They still deserve this information. So even if that's true, People who die of drug overdoses deserve the same level of respect and care as somebody who dies of a homicide or natural causes, period. So that's irrelevant to start, but the autopsy makes it very clear there's no sign of any drug, any illicit drugs in her system at all, no marijuana, no cocaine, no fentanyl, nothing. The only thing that was in her system was her prescribed medication, a slightly higher dose of her prescribed medication, but not a lethal dose. And so if that information continues to be spread after the posting of this podcast, I have seen, Sadie and I have seen the autopsy with our own two eyes, and that is completely not true. It would explain a lot if it were true. That's not to say, I don't know what she did on her personal time. I don't know if she had, like every 21-year-old on the planet, had done drugs at some point. But at the time of her death, there were no drugs in her system, according to the autopsy. So stop spreading rumors. It's just not true. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure Tori was like any other 21-year-old kid, but she was also very respected in the Circle School District. She had done after care program for all the kids at all the elementary schools. One of her best friends, mom was the middle school principal. Heck, we had moved four hours away. And when we had Tori's celebration of life, I can't tell you how much it meant for me to see the superintendent of that school district there. Tori just had a way of touching people. And I know a lot of superintendents, they're not going to drive across town to go to a funeral service of a current student, let alone one that had graduated almost four years prior and the service being so far away. Right. She was very well supported by you all. You were very involved and aware. You told me a story about after her assault, after finding out her assault, you immediately put her into a center for therapy, got her the help she needed. When she would call you and have a panic attack, you would stay on the phone with her for three hours while you drove to her home to get to her home to help her through the panic attack and the trauma of having experienced that. She was very well loved. She was very well supported. And she communicated with you all, it sounds like, pretty pretty regularly. Every Friday, right? Every Friday evening, you would talk to her. We would catch up on what her week was like every Friday evening. And I had tried to reach out to her earlier in the week, but I also knew she was working. She was still taking classes and she was student teaching and had lesson plans to do. But when she didn't answer, I wasn't concerned. 
because I knew we would talk on Friday and we just, we're a close family. Yeah. We are a close family. Heck, there was one time her trunk on her car messed up. She texted me and called me, and I'm not kidding you, 62 times <laughs> in 10 minutes that she could not get her trunk closed. <laughs> if she were so ill that she was on her deathbed, I would have been called. She would and have milked it for all it was me, worth. Yeah. Every every family member would have been reached out to if she was feeling ill. Yep. If she couldn't have reached me. She was not sick. You will not convince me that she was sick. No. Nobody can. Go ahead, Dalton. Um, the allegations about the whole GoFundMe and get rich thing, like if this was that type of ordeal for any of us, we would have been making a spectacle way bigger than this, way yep. sooner than this. This is about more than anything closure for her family because we are, have been stuck in limbo for so long, not knowing what exactly happened. You know, it always hurts somebody to lose somebody that they love, but to lose her in the manner that we did and not have closure on it, it's a whole nother level of pain and purgatory. And victimization. You all are entitled to an investigation and information that you have not received. And there is a potential other suspect still alive and well and kicking out there that has not been investigated. And not to mention any potential corruption of the police department that they were not investigating and sharing information with the citizens of the community that pays for them to do their job and protect them, investigate situations when they're not protected and share information so that they can get the closure. That's the entire point of having a police department. And if those things aren't happening, we need to know a why or continue to fight until you can feel safe. And the citizens of El Dorado can feel safe that they are being protected by their police department, that they're doing their job. And that after the fact, they're not going to stall lie, change stories, and then continue to victimize you all when you're grieving the death of a 21-year-old, healthy, vibrant, beautiful young person who was just about to start her life and had already given so much to the people in her life, in her community, in her family. It's completely unacceptable. And all it would take is an email, a phone call. Hey, this is why, guys. But I saw that I saw the refusal, the multiple refusals and the refusals to the simple questions to clarify the refusals. There's no planet that you can tell me that that is not abusive to, to you all. That's unacceptable. And that if we all had the funding to do this ourselves, there wouldn't be a GoFundMe because we are not the type of people to ask for any type of handout. But this is the type of deal where they're going to stall and hit us with every hurdle we can possibly get just to get the evidence for us to come to the conclusions that we need to come to. And so that's why that was done, was to ask people with a good heart, moral compass, and conscience to help us. Well, and right. if, we were just, if we were just after money... I would have pocketed the $20,000 life insurance policy that I had on her. Every penny of that policy has gone towards this investigation. Yep. And then some. Yep. 
I'd like to say just a couple of things. I saw Tori Sunday before she passed. Anybody that knows me knows that I am not the touchy, steely sister. That was always Tori. She used to do these things called tree hugs. She'd like wrap her leg around you. I went over to Dylan's house because I also lived in Eureka at that point in time. And she was telling me this story about a resident that she was taking care of. And she just kept hugging me and she just kept looking at me like she was trying to remember what I looked like. And obviously, I didn't think much of it at the time, but I was obviously starting to get a little uncomfortable because I'm not that touchy-feely kind of person. But now knowing everything that we know, that's the sign that she knew that something tragic was going to happen to her. And to the people that are trying to discredit what we're doing, all the information that they have given out per se just goes to prove that one, he didn't do this alone. He had to have had help. And also it doesn't matter what his age was or what his job or career path was. It doesn't matter if he was older and was a drug dealer or if he was 30 and a lawyer. A crime is a crime. Exactly. We deserve justice and answers. Exactly. And more so, and I, we say this all the time on the podcast, but people who are in vulnerable positions should be protected more, in my opinion. She had been assaulted. She was spending time with somebody who didn't have good intentions, who was significantly older than her and had more life experience than her and used that difference to his advantage and then potentially used it to take her life. And in my opinion, that isn't something that should be used to excuse away or dismiss her. It's in my opinion, she needed more protection and the police should be doing more to make sure that other women like her are not falling victim to the same sorts of things. But in the meantime, we have to trust that the systems that are in place to protect us do exactly that so that when we lose our way because we're human beings, there are the bumpers in place to protect us from the people who want to hurt us. And you do not feel confident in that. And if I lived in El Dorado, Kansas, I would also not feel comfortable about that. And that's a terrible, terrible thing to take from people. Well, how can you claim to have loved and cared about somebody and then try to disparage their memory unless you're feeling uncomfortable? Exactly right. Yes. There's no other reason to do that. That's a private conversation. You, you just can't say those things to a grieving family, period. It's not okay. It's totally inappropriate. And it's incredibly cruel. I hope she backs off and I certainly hope that justice is served and that if she was involved, that comes to light and that there is justice for that. But at a minimum, I really hope that you all start to get some answers, start to get some explanations. And we will also post to your GoFundMe Listeners, obviously, it's such a travesty that this family has to pay for the investigation on their own, considering they've already paid their tax dollars to have that investigation done. But that is the reality that they're faced with. And for the safety of the community and for their own closure and answers, if you are so able, please consider donating. We'll put a link to it on Instagram. We'll put a link to it in our show notes and obviously you can always reach out to us if you need help tracking it down and we'll make that available to you all but any final thoughts family anything we missed yeah I, you didn't miss it i just thought if there's anybody out there that knows anything about how my daughter died or who might have been involved we're more than happy 
to hear that information and to take it under advisement and have it investigated. Yeah. We're not out to to nail just one individual, anybody that was involved in my daughter's death. We will investigate it thoroughly. Yes, good point. Sadie actually just texted me. Ask them where we can have information sent to. Obviously, people can always email us or message us and we can relay that information on to you. But is there a good place for them to send any of those leads? Yeah, if we could have that sent to Marie Bethel 38 at iCloud.com. Marie, M as in mouse, Marie Bethel 38 at iCloud.com. Correct. Great. And we'll post that as well. We'll put it, put all that in our show notes and with other information. But yeah, again, if you lose track of that listeners and you want to reach out to us, please, by all means you can, and we will be sure to relay that information immediately. But Marie Bethel 38 at iCloud.com is a great place to send that info. We're open to any evidence, any lead whatsoever. People yeah. sometimes don't know that they witnessed something until something like this comes up and they'll go, well, yeah, I lived in those apartments at that time. And yeah, I did see somebody or or something like that. So yeah, we will take any evidence that people can bring to us and we will have it investigated as thoroughly as possible. Or, Or even resources. You know, we have been staring at this case for so long. If somebody listening thinks of a question that, is a smoking gun, so to speak, that none of us have thought to ask. Mm-hmm. Please, by all means, let us know so that we can be asking the right question. That's a great, a great point. We have a lot of people who have reached out to us over the years and said, like Leslie, the doctor, who's like, that's not how you pronounce that, Courtney. If you ever need a pronunciation, please let me know. And I've also sent her my wife's medical history and things like that to help suss things out. We've had attorneys reach out. We've had psychiatrists and psychologists. So if anybody's listening who has experience in forensics or is a lawyer or who wants to help support this family pro bono or at a discounted rate, or even just share some emails or some insight or some information, please let us know because that's incredibly valuable to them right now. And all the support in just making them feel supported, making them feel like they're not in on this by themselves and that they don't have to take this entire system on alone, financially, emotionally, physically, mentally, take up the time to do all these things. That's so appreciated. That's correct. So anything else? Anyone, y'all did a phenomenal job. There are six of the of you on the phone and that could not have gone more seamlessly. So bravo, you should feel incredibly proud of yourselves. And I know this is a an enormous thing to take on. It's such a vulnerable thing to go on a podcast in the first place, let alone to talk about something this awful. And so I applaud you for that. But any any last thoughts? I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to share our story and to get it out there so people can be aware that possibly we can get the help that we need. It's an honor. It's our absolute pleasure. Yeah, you guys have made the foray foray into the podcast world rather painless. So thank you for that. Good. And this won't be it either. If there are updates, you know, as we move along, all of us, we can all stay in touch, but we'll certainly be happy to bring you back on to talk about things as they progress. Because Yeah, absolutely. We'd be more than happy. 
to. We're hoping that people decide that Tori's a pretty incredible person and that they want to know the end to this story. And I'm hoping one day we can give them the end to this story and let them know who killed her, how they killed her. And thank your listeners for tuning in. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you all so much for coming on. Thank you for trusting us in the first place and reaching out. Kay, and I said this to you when we started this, we're just people who retell stories that have already been told. We're not journalists. And so it never, ever occurred to either of us that we would actually potentially be able to help people other than sharing stories, but to be able to actually potentially help you all is an incredible honor. And we really appreciate you all for trusting us with your story because we understand the gravity and the weight of that. And so thank you for being able, being, being willing to share and for Absolutely. honoring Tori in, in that way and for continuing the fight for her. It's not fair that you have to do it, but I'm 100% sure that she appreciates you all because that's just so far above and beyond. She was so loved. And she was worth it. Yep. All of it. I'll never quit fighting for her. We won't stop till we get justice for Tori. Good. We appreciate everything you guys have done for us. You've been a godsend and just awareness, community awareness that El Dorado is not a safe place. It might look like it from afar, but you peel the wool back a little bit. And unfortunately, it is what it is. But it's important to let everybody know that, you know, this is what our situation is. This is what we're dealing with so that they're aware and they can take precautions to protect themselves and their loved ones. Because we never thought we'd ever be in this situation, but here we are. We don't want anybody else to go through what we did. No, no, you should never, you should never should have had to go through it. And so good for you all for trying to make sure that nobody else has to, because that, as it stands, there's potential for that. So thank you guys again so much. Thank you everyone for listening and We'll definitely keep you updated. And like I said, we'll post all that information on our sites and our source notes and everything so that it's readily available. And you can always just reach out to us. Just Google, they will kill. And there's plenty of plenty of resources to get in touch. So thank you all again. And we'll keep you posted, hopefully sooner than later. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.